Bite Fry fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Bite Fry podcast coming at you on a Monday evening, ready and excited for the upcoming AFL draft. We're just a couple of days away now from the annual player selection period where nearly 100 hopefuls will have their footballing dreams realised. Obviously, heading into the draft, all 18 AFL clubs will have their own ideal scenario of how things will unfold, so Today's podcast is going to discuss how each AFL club could have the best case scenario unfold in the 2019 draft. I've gone and written the article for it. The link will be in this podcast description. It was meant to be out yesterday, but I got done in by a Sunday sesh, so went up a couple of hours ago, WA time, so make sure you have a squiz at that. But basically, I'm going to cover all 18 AFL clubs and discuss how your team can come and realise their best case scenario in the 2019 draft. Going in alphabetical order, I'm going to start with the Adelaide Crows. Their best case scenario is restocking their talls without making moves. So the big mass exodus that was being reported to come out of Adelaide this offseason wasn't actually as bad as we all thought. They did lose a lot of veteran experience, which I guess is less than ideal, but obviously with all those guys departing, there's a big opportunity for plenty of other players on the Crows list to step up and grasped with two hands. They saw a lot of their tall timber depart as well, guys like Sam Jacobs, key position players like Alex Keith and Josh Jenkins, and losing those guys is going to hurt the Crows' depth, so adding some other lanky youngsters will definitely be a priority for the Crows come draft night. Adelaide would love to land Luke Jackson, the versatile forward slash ruckman at pick six, but I don't think he'll go past pick four or five if the D's do pass on him at pick three, and Adelaide already has Riley O'Brien on their hands who showed that he can be a starting caliber ruck, so it might be likely that the Crows will target Fisher Mackesy, a key defender who could be a bit of a reach for their first selection at number six, but I still think is a good player to target. They might also look with their other picks they've got in pick 22 and 23 at targeting SA natives Will Gould and Will Day. Both key position players will come into play as well, so the Crows probably don't need to do a hell of a lot of moving through the draft order to address their tools, and I still think that their list is in solid shape, so they don't need to panic by any means, but if they're able to get a couple of those players that I've already talked about without making many moves, that'll be a big plus for Adelaide. The Brisbane Lions are up next. Their best case scenario is getting some midfield help through the second round. Thanks to some smart drafting and some savvy free agent slash trade work in the last few summers, there aren't many holes in Brisbane's roster right now, and it's definitely shown after their vault up the ladder last season. They have traded away their first round selection with Port Adelaide in a deal that they did last week, but there's a lot of belief with this year's talent pool that some of the players that are being slated in mock drafts to go in the late teens compared to some of the guys in the early 30s. There's not a huge drop-off between that level of player. So there was a lot of other pieces on Brisbane's list like Ryan Bastanak, Lewis Taylor, Tom Cutler's another one that departed in the trade period or were delisted. So if the Lions could add some midfielders with three picks that they have in the second round, that would be a pretty perfect scenario. Cooper Stevens is a popular name that the Lions would love to get their hands on, but I've heard of multiple clubs linked to him, so I don't know how likely that'll occur. But they might want to look at someone like maybe Jay Rantall, Sam Philp, Thompson Dow. There's a couple of midfielders in that bracket that could help them fill that void. 
Next cab off the rank, the Carlton Blues. Their best case scenario is Caleb Sarong still being on the board when it's their turn to pick. And I'll be honest, this could come to fruition. Cal Toomey, the big AFL draft expert, just released his phantom draft or mock draft a couple of hours ago as well, almost uh, in time with my article actually, funnily enough, but uh, hopefully doesn't steal too much of my traffic. Regardless, uh, he had Caleb Sarong going a pick eight from memory to the Dockers, so that could happen obviously on draft night, but the Blues currently slated at pick nine will be having their fingers crossed that they can get Caleb Sarong. They already have the bulldozer in Paddy Cripps in their midfield and the classy Sam Walsh, who's the reigning rising star winner. So adding a versatile midfielder makes a lot of sense, especially with Mark Murphy and Ed Kerno nearing the ends of their career. So Dylan Stevens or even Brody Kemp are a couple of names being flirted around Carlton's selection. But I think they could really create a three-headed midfield monster by adding the likes of Sarong to their middle-of-the-ground unit. There's no certainties, again, that he'll still be available at their pick, but if the Vic Country MVP is still around, I don't think Carlton will pass up the opportunity to grab him. Next up, the Collingwood Magpies are in my sight. Their best-case scenario is adding a young key forward. After landing Dane Beams and then other touted prospects, Isaac Quainer and Will Kelly last year, Collingwood's going to have to wait until pick 35 to make their first selection in this week's draft. And that pick, Collingwood would love to get that with that pick. Collingwood would love to get their hands on a key forward who could probably be a bit more versatile than the traditional mark kick goal type of guy. They've obviously gone after some of these players in the past, and these dudes don't really grow on trees. They'll be hoping that Darcy Cameron can maybe develop into a guy who can have a bit of an impact inside attacking 50 while also pinch hitting in the ruck to spell Brody Grundy. Mason Cox has shown flashes and has played this role in the past, but you do wonder if he is the long-term answer. And the chances of finding this type of player in this year's talent pool is pretty slim. But there is a couple of guys out there. The one that I really like the looks of is WA native Mitch. I'm going to butcher this, but I'm pretty sure his name is Georgiadis. Uh, it's one guy that Collingwood will obviously want to uh, land, but again, they might have to move up the order from 35 to get him. He seems like the best key forward prospect, despite missing part of last year with or this season just gone with injury, but they've got a couple of ladder picks that they might need to stash together with pick 35 to move up to get Georgiatis' services, but if they could do that, it would definitely help them address their need. Essendon's up next. Their best case scenario is someone helping them move up the order. So they entered this year's draft in an interesting predicament. 2019 marks the third year in a row that the Bombers won't have a top 30 selection in the draft. And very similarly to Collingwood, they'd love to add some key forward depth after delisting, kind of surprisingly to me, Mitch Brown. And then obviously with Joey Danaher's future up in the air and the chances are he won't be there in 2021 so they'll want to be adding to the stocks they could do that through the next few drafts obviously but again the one young gun that they might want to target is Mitch Georgiatis who again like I mentioned missed all of last year with a quad injury and he'll definitely be on the agenda for Essendon the Bombers are another team that's been linked to Cooper Stevens however he'll all but certainly be gone by the time that they start their draft at pick 31 so they might want to look at moving up the order there's a few teams that I will discuss that could help them do so but if they can't move up the order, it's going to be tough to get these type of players that they do covet. But doing so, if they can find the right person to help buy some of their of multiple number of their picks and help them launch up the order, they might get the guy they want. 
My club, the Fremantle Dockers, are up next. Their best case scenario is a Liam Henry bid coming after their first two selections. So bear with me, this might sound a bit complicated, but after some pretty smart trading and pick swapping over the last couple of weeks and months, Fremantle has turned somewhat of an awkward situation into a glass half full approach, I think. They've lost pacey playmakers like Ed Langdon and Brad Hill in free agency and through the trade period, and now, after shuffling all these picks, they currently hold number seven and number eight. And there's a chance that they could add a third top 15 slash 20 talent with their draft hand. So at the moment, the Dockers will be hoping that no one inside the top 10 places a bid on their next generation academy prospect, Liam Henry. He's being touted as a Michael Walters clone. So another dynamic small forward that could potentially fill the void if Walters moves into the midfield and Hayden about. Ballantyne's retirement leaves, so if that is the case and Fremantle is able to make their selections a pick seven and eight, they could get two real talented players and then still have enough draft index points to match a bid for Henry wherever it does fall. It seems likely that it'll come somewhere in the second half of the first round, around the 15 to 20 mark, and they can't instantly replace those guys like Hill and Langdon, but if they could essentially get three first-round talents, then it's going to be a pretty good start to the Justin Longmuir era. The Geelong Cats are in my sights now. Their best-case scenario is Cooper Stevens, yes, again, Cooper Stevens, and Josh Worrell becoming Cats. So the Cats were forced to trade Tim Kelly back to Western Australia throughout the trade period, and as a result, they now have three selections inside the top 25, which is hardly a bad problem to have. Following the delisting of Lockie Henderson and given how old Harry Taylor's getting, their key defensive stocks would probably need to be addressed with at least one of those picks. Same could be said with their midfield. We know that Gary Ablett has pretty much gone into the forward line and won't play a hell of a lot of midfield in what we all assume will be his last AFL season. And Joel Selwood's no spring chicken either, so it's time to start thinking of a bit of a succession plan in the middle. Someone that uh, could be linked to Geelong and someone they're really high on is apparently Devon Robertson out of WA, but I think Josh Worrell and Cooper Stevens are the two perfect players to fill their current voids and solve these problems for Geelong. So starting with Josh Worrell, much like Harry Taylor, he has the versatility to play at both ends of the ground. And I don't know if he'll get games regularly from day one, but he definitely shapes up as an impact player and will probably be Harry Taylor's successor. I know I've mentioned Cooper Stevens' name a lot, but he has a special link to the Cats. He's the Geelong Falcons co-captain, and seeing him land in Geelong would be one of the feel-good stories of the draft. So regardless of which of their picks they need to use to get this, whether I think they got 14 and 17 and maybe 24, 25, doesn't really matter which picks they use to get these guys. If they can get Stevens and Worrell in Navy hoops by the end of the draft, Geelong will be pretty chuffed. Turning my attention to the Gold Coast Suns. Their best case scenario doesn't really matter what they do with picks one and two. The Suns need to hit on picks 15 and 20. So we all pretty much know that Gold Coast is certainly going to take Matt Rowell and Noah Anderson in that order, first and second overall. It's one of the worst kept secrets with the draft. However, more importantly for the Suns, picks number 15 and 20 need to become winners if they want to start mainly restoring their reputation, but also climbing up the ladder. They could choose to nab a key defender, Josh Worrell, who I've already talked about, Fisher Mackesy as well, and maybe Brody Kemp, a versatile utility who missed a bit of time with an ACL injury. They all make sense for the Cats, and uh, for the Suns rather, and it can't hurt to add some more class to their engine room. So maybe they want to get 
a ball user like Trent Bianco. Jeremy Sharp is someone to maybe consider, the WA native. So Gold Coast hasn't ruled out moving either of these picks or some of their later picks to gather more assets, but it's time for the Suns to start fixing their problems instead of investing in future drafts. I think there's plenty of talent in this year's player pool and adding a key defensive pillar and a really classy ball user to complement Raul and Anderson would be a real win for Geelong, damn Geelong again, for Gold Coast rather, and Stuart Jew. The Greater Western Sydney Giants' best case scenario would be landing both Luke Jackson and Tom Green. So it really hinges on what Melbourne does at pick number three for how the Giants' draft unfolds. And it seems like they're going to take Luke Jackson, which the Giants would love to get, but they won't be extremely bummed if that happens. They probably won't mind which product actually comes off the board at number three, as long as Melbourne doesn't make a bid for Tom Green, which doesn't appear likely. The Giants' academy prospect is another player who's all but certain to stay associated with the club. And smartly, the Giants have moved up the order as high as possible to ensure that not only can they match Tom Green's bid, but they also, at pick number four, will be able to add another talented youngster. If Jackson isn't the third name called on draft night, GWS would love to grab him and potentially turn him into their long-term plan as a starting ruckman, maybe take over from Sauce Jacobs and Shane Mumford in a few years' time. But if that doesn't happen and Tom Green is not made a bid on at pick three, then Hayden Young or maybe the speedy Lockie Ash are two good players they could target off the halfback flank. They could be ready-made replacements for Heath Shaw, who doesn't seem like he's going to go around for much longer. And Ash or Young makes a lot of sense for the Giants and can instantly aid the club off the halfback line. Into the second half of the clubs, the Hawthorne Hawks are up next. Best case scenario for them is a bid for Finn McInnes, who I think I called McGuinness the other day. Hopefully that bid comes as late as possible. It's unlike Hawthorne to own a first round pick actually after wheeling and dealing in recent times to rebuild their roster, but 2019 marks the first time that they've held a pick higher than number 45 in the last four seasons. And the Hawks will be hoping that they can use it in the way that they want to. For that to happen, Hawthorne will be hoping much like Tom Green and the Giants and Liam Henry and the Dockers as I've already mentioned, they'll be hoping that a bid for their father-son prospect in Finn McGuinness doesn't come before their first pick at number 11. McGuinness has climbed mock drafts throughout the year and the aggressive ball winner shapes as a pretty good addition to Hawthorne's list, but the footy heads at Waverley have done a pretty good job of playing down his ability, so hopefully they can use pick 11 to add another capable youngster to their mix. Doesn't seem like anyone is going to make a bid on McGuinness before 11, and if that's the case, Hawthorne's in a pretty luxurious position of being able to target the best player available, Someone that may be in their mix is Dylan Stevens, who I like the looks of, and I'm sure if he's still on the board, they would love to add him to their list. Time for the Melbourne Demons. Now, I went very specific for their best case scenario. They currently have three picks, and their best case scenario turns those three picks into Luke Jackson, Cody Waitman, and Kaiseya Pickett. So after fluctuating all over the draft board, the Ds only have three picks in this year's draft. They have number three, number 10, and number 28, which are all pretty valuable picks. And given the fact that they've traded away their first, second, and fourth round selections in 2020, nailing this trio of picks is going to be crucial if Melbourne really wants to spring back up the ladder. Ideal instance would be to see them land Luke Jackson at three. The other day I talked about Jackson and I didn't really love the fit with the Demons, but they do kind of lack key forwards and goal-kicking power. So I'm actually kind of warm to the idea of them drafting Jackson. And it seems like after it's been talked about for the last few weeks, that that's 
all but certain to occur. Regardless of how that pick unfolds, when it gets time to pick 10, they'll be hoping that dynamic small forward Cody Waitman will still be up for grabs. I think that someone like the Bulldogs or Port at pick 12 and 13 might be looking at him, so the Ds could ruin those teams' chances and take him off the board at number 10. If that comes to fruition, then pick 28 could go in a lot of different directions, but I think even if they do grab Waitman, it makes sense for the Demons to add another small forward in the form of Kaisaia Pickett. He's the nephew of former Bullocking Byron Pickett, and this kid oozes with X-Factor potential. He shapes as those special type of players that puts bums on seats and has a natural goal sense and is a very exciting player to watch. So, loves to tackle, hits the footy hard. So, the Demons could get Jackson, Waitman and Pickett, then they might honestly leave the draft as big-time winners. For the North, Melbourne Kangaroos to realise their best-case scenario, they need to boost their defensive stocks. They have to wait until pick number 26 to make their first choice this year after trading pick number 8 to Melbourne, which is now in Frio's hands, but it's not the end of the world. There's still, as I've mentioned before, plenty of talent up for grabs inside the top 30. As it stands right now, Robbie Tarrant is one of the best key backs in the game, but aside from him, the Roos are pretty thin when it comes to A-grade defenders. Actually, they're pretty thin even when it comes to B-grade defenders, and there's a bit of a surplus of backmen who are expected to be first or second round selections, so... Luckily for North, much like the Lions, they have three selections right in the middle of round two. So they could look at targeting someone like Will Day, Trent Rivers, Sam DeConning is another name that may be mentioned, Will Gould, if they really love Brock Smith, he could be someone that rises up and gets taken by North. And if they can get their hands on at least a few of those types, those defenders, then that would make North very, very happy. The Port Adelaide Power are the next club that I'm looking at. For them to get their best case scenario, it's tough, but they're going to try to replicate their 2018 draft success. So last season, they picked Connor Rosie 5th, Zach Butters 12th, and Xavier Dersma 18th. And I'm sure footy fans will know those three players and their names pretty regularly by now. Maybe not too regularly, but that trio of rookies combined to play 61 out of a possible 66 games in their first AFL season, which is a pretty huge accomplishment. And I think... If they get another preseason under their belts, then they're only going to keep improving. After juggling some of their picks, Port is well poised to add another group of quality youngsters now that they have another three picks inside the top 18. They could even make a fourth player join their list with Jackson Mead, a father-son prospect, likely to get a bid for him outside the top 20. So that should leave Port Adelaide in a position to use all three of their first rounders. If they can find players who can contribute right away, much like Rosie Butters and Dersma did a year ago, it'll go a long way to helping Port Adelaide return to the finals in 2020. The reigning premiers are up next, and Richmond, their best case scenario is acquiring future assets by facilitating trades for other clubs. Given the depth of their entire squad, Richmond is pretty spoilt for choice ahead of this year's draft, and the way that their list is constructed, they're one of the current powers of the competition, so it's not crucial for them to nail their picks, and while I'm sure they'll want to add some youth to their list, trading out of their current, current slots could be a smart play. They currently hold eight picks in the draft, and honestly, I'd be stunned if the Tigers chose to even use half of those. A lot of them are in the later part of the draft, so they could part ways with some of them for people who are looking for a couple of picks to match, a couple of late selections to match bids for players, and they might want to also look long at hard at parting ways with their first selection, currently at number 19. The Bombers and the Magpies are just two clubs that I've already talked about who might be tempted to move up the order, and... 
could be wise for Richmond to stash some future assets up their sleeve, might just help extend their premiership window and help them land other players that they cover in upcoming drafts. Turning my attention to St Kilda, for them to realise their best case scenario, they need to somehow get their hands on a tantalising key forward. They were viewed as the big winners of the trade period by many, getting the five players that they really, really went after, and as a result, they just have three picks in this draft, none of which are higher than number 51. We know that Paddy McCartan is going to be stepping away from the game to deal with his concussion issues, and obviously Josh Bruce departed for the Bulldogs, so the key forward stocks are all of a sudden a little thin. Granted, Max King will essentially be another new recruit and will return to the field after missing his rookie season rehabbing from an ACL tear, and their raw next-gen academy player, I'm going to butcher this one too, Bigo Nuong, who just goes by the name of Biggie, understandably, he should become a saint this week as well. So not all hope is lost for St Kilda, but the thought of maybe... Maybe getting at pick 50, someone like Charlie Dean, Emerson Jecker, who is a player that I've done a bit of reading up on, but is someone that apparently the Saints rate really highly. Or maybe even Cooper Sharman. If they could get some of them onto their list of off-season additions, that would definitely help the Saints almost complete a near-perfect summer. The Sydney Swans and their best-case scenario is to force a GWS Tom Green bid, and then, I think, to draft Hayden Young. The real best case scenario would for Sydney to somehow land Luke Jackson at pick five, but I can't see a world in which he slips through both Melbourne and GWS's fingers, and there are other Ruckman that they could potentially target with a couple of picks in the 20s, so they don't have to rush to address that need, and they can definitely look at that later in the draft. For the reason, I think forcing their crosstown rivals to fork up their assets for Tom Green is the way to go at pick number five which then paves the way to Sydney potentially to land Hayden Young. It'll obviously hinge a little bit on what the Giants do at pick four, but the talented interceptor marker in Hayden Young is a real clean ball user and who'd be a huge plus for the Swans' back six, especially after losing the likes of Zach Jones and some heady veterans in Jared McVeigh and Heath Grundy this off-season to retirement. Second to last club, the West Coast Eagles. Their best case scenario is finding a Shannon Hearn successor. As a Freo fan, it pains me to say this, but I honestly think West Coast has the most balanced list in the entire AFL. For that reason, similar to Richmond, there's no pressure for the Eagles to have a blinder of a draft, and especially because they've given up a lot of their picks following the Tim Kelly trade. They've got one in the 40s and one in the 90s, and while some think they should target a small forward with one of those picks, I think that Jeremy Cameron and Jack Petrocelli have shown enough throughout the last season to fill, potentially, Willy Rioli's shoes if the dynamic small forward is whacked with a ban from Asada. For that reason, West Coast should start to plan for the future and look at getting a re rebounding defender with a clean, hopefully penetrating kick to one day take the reins from their skipper in Shannon Bungahern. Obviously, Will Schofield and Lewis Jetta are a couple of other veterans that roll through that back six that are starting to get to the twilight of their careers, so... Maybe West Coast stays local and goes after someone like Jackson Pryor or Ben Johnson. Maybe they're able to do a couple of swindling, swindling moves and move up the order to get someone they really like the looks of. But if they can find someone to one day fill in Shannon Hearn's shoes, that would be ideal. The 18th club is the Western Bulldogs and their best case scenario is landing a small forward with a coveted 13th overall pick. That's kind of a joke, but I don't think 13 will be unlucky this year for the Dogs. They'll have to fight off the likes of Carlton, Melbourne and Port Adelaide if they want to get a gem in front of the sticks 
at number 13, and they fought hard to hold on to their first round choice. They still managed to get the likes of Alex Keith and Josh Bruce to the kennel, but if they could add a small forward with those two dudes, the Bulldogs could really give their off-season a massive tick. I've already talked about the pocket rocket in Kaiseya Pickett. Might have to be their choice because Cody Waitman probably won't be on the board. Maybe, though. It's almost a flip of a coin, but a goal-kicking small is definitely the coveted type for Footscray heading into the draft. Their second selection doesn't come until pick number 53, so taking Pickett at number 13 would be viewed as a reach by some, but if they're infatuated with that dude, honestly, they shouldn't hesitate and they should just grab him while they can. So there you have it. That is the best case scenario for all 18 AFL clubs. Obviously on Wednesday night, we'll see the first round unfold and see just how many of these predictions and these best case scenarios will come to fruition. I'm pretty excited for this draft. Quick little uh, Fremantle tangent, holding picks seven and eight. There's a lot of ways that the Dockers could go here. I think getting someone, I've kind of warmed to the idea of getting a half backer, hopefully someone like Lockie Ash or Hayden Young, and then maybe adding some midfield class, Caleb Sarong or Devin Robertson. And then obviously, if that does happen, and then a bid for Liam Henry doesn't come until after those two selections, having any combination of those three dudes on my team, I'll be pretty chuffed with. I would love to get Luke Jackson, but I don't think the Ds, the Giants, and the Swans are going to pass on him. So unless they package seven and eight to trade up to four or three, which seems pretty unlikely, I think the Dockers will have to settle for letting Jackson go to another club. But that's all I've got for this episode. I'll be back tomorrow doing a fast five, talking a little bit about this article, but mainly about some other basketball and, of course, the Week 13 NFL action, recapping the entire kit and caboodle. I'll be back later in the week doing an AFL draft recap, and I might even look at some of these rookies from an AFL fantasy perspective. But once again, thank you for tuning into this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the pod for future episodes. But until next time, 